BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey folks, it's Matt Zachary and welcome to Vax On, a weekly segment of my podcast out of patience right here on the Offscript Media Network. Hey, I'm Alura Nanos. I'm a lawyer, a journalist, a mom of a teenage narcoleptic, and a professional big mouth. Lou and I go back 30 years as best friends, and we're here to have fun and bring you a layperson's guide to what the hell just happened this week in healthcare as America gets its vax on and shows COVID the door. Matt gets me. He knows I'm tired, annoyed, and sometimes pushed to the brink by the intense chaos of our lives right now. We're here together to learn, complain, and include you in the conversation. So join us on Twitter at VaxOnPod and share your stories and grievances using the hashtag VaxOn. Conspiracy theorists and haters shall be neutralized on site. All right, Matt, let's get at it. The month after the world opens from a global pandemic to suddenly get like asthma and respiratory problems. Yeah, why not? Indeed, why not? <laughs> How are you? Um, I'm good. How are you? I mean, I guess on your hate everything ometer, are you at like a four at a twelve? So, <laughs> on my hate everything ometer, I am like in the middle. I'm like a five, mostly because I'm bracing myself for the hatred to come. For this show, or for just in general. No, no, no. The, the show is my favorite part of the week. But just this morning, as if to dovetail with our segment later in the episode, I have been named the coordinator of Cherry Bowl. And <laughs> is that like Puppy Bowl? It, it, it is not like Puppy Bowl. It is like the Olympics, but for swimming in South Jersey. Never my old job. No, it is absolutely hilarious because as you know, and as you remember, I am in fact not an athlete. So doing sports ball type stuff is like really, really foreign to me. But my kids are swimmers. And this is a huge event in my whole county. Uh, it's attended by thousands and thousands of people. It's like the big swim championship of the year. And that's all wonderful. And I go every year and I absolutely love it. Uh, but it's a major undertaking that is conducted entirely by volunteers. And we're dealing with it this year. And although COVID is not as looming as it was last year, which made us cancel it, COVID is still a thing. And we're in charge of figuring out how to do this in as safe a way as possible, in a way that's going to cause people to complain as little as possible. And by the way, still manage, you know, 30,000 kids. So the hate is pending, but it's pen I, mean, yes. like, I mean, like you're, you're 47. I know you know how to say no at this point in your life, but if this is one of those things where like, if Elora doesn't do it, it's going to suck. And yet the hate's worth it. Right. It's like, it's either me or the other guy and there is no other guy. So, <laughs> so the hate is pending. <laughs> the hate is pending. I have got to use that from now on. I'm, I need something that like reflects that, like hate pending. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> well, I mean, I, I had a decent week. <clears throat> I have a little tiny tickle, and I want to just thank regular, normal germs for existing once again in our lives to wreak havoc, but maybe not death-laden COVID havoc. I have to ask you, does it make you feel foolish for not wearing a mask that could have prevented you from getting whatever cold or virus you have now? You know, it's my civil liberty. It's my First Amendment <laughs> right to not wear a mask so I can have the regular cold. It's funny, like it, it changes your thought process, right? Like even if you wouldn't be inclined to wear a mask, it's like I never imagined that I would be considering wearing a mask, but it it might have protected you from whatever you got. Yeah, but and, my uh, daughter had it for some reason. She looked the flagpole somewhere. Then my son got it. <laughs> And then, oh, then my you wife got escaped. it. I, I'm not wearing masks in my apartment, right? It just made me think of something, what you're saying, though. So, you know, you have a little cold right now. Would you have made major life adjustments to avoid a, a mild cold? Probably not. But you know the dread of dreads, right? Like almost on par with COVID is the, the dreaded stomach virus. Oh, God, so, those are the worst. The It's like the worst thing in the world. So picture it. A day comes, one of your kids has a stomach virus. You have an important, you know, personal, professional, whatever obligation coming up the next week. Do you quarantine, wear a mask, take precautions? What do you do now? Now that we sort of can kick into this high gear, are you going to make those kind of adjustments? I'm going to make the kid live in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> I'll poke one hole in it for oxygen. I'm calling it right now. I think that I will just quarantine myself. I will check right into a hotel under the guise of being germ resistant, and I will order room service and watch TV and be safely quarantined. I'm going to go with that, but this loosely connects to one other thing of normalization that happened to me this week. I went to the movies with my kids. Oh, yay. What'd you see? We went to go see Boss Baby 2. Really not. Oh. It's a, kind of like a take it for the team, for the dads out there. That's like terrible. Black Widow's out. You saw Boss Baby? The kids wanted to see Boss Baby. Uh, I saw Black Widow separately. Trust me. Oh, okay. But none of okay. the movies. I did the Disney Plus thing because I'm paying okay. for it. I'm not spending more money at, at Regal if I'm paying Disney Plus to see the yes. movie. Clearly. So, And it was cheaper to go to Disney Plus and play the premium price because tickets are like 30 bucks. No, I know, because the movie tickets are a million dollars versus Disney, which is like half a million dollars. <laughs> Those right. are your choices. And like popcorn and water, it's like $38 for a bag of Twizzlers. Right. You can go to the movies or make a car payment. <laughs> it's, I can't. I, I just remember like when you and I were at the UA in Staten Island, it was like, like six bucks to see yeah. Batman. Yeah. And if you went before seven, then you could get in and it was like four bucks. It was great. That's right. The matinee price before 6 oh, p.m. Batman, Michael Keaton forever. That was Sorry. a great day. It was a great day in the annals of the 80s, late 80s and in high school. Right. And then afterwards, we went to Millard Fillmore's to eat, which is the strangest named restaurant ever. Like, let's just pick a random ass president that no one can recognize or knows anything about. We're going to name a restaurant after that guy. So listeners, please vote on whether we should launch a separate podcast called Staten Island in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Back to the movies. So you went to the movies, and and now you're allowed to do that because COVID is gone. And there was no Ish. one there. We owned the theater. I think it speaks volumes to are we really ready to go back to a movie theater? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been to the movies twice uh, since the world reopened, and both times I was the only person in the movie theater. And I was very surprised by that because, um, you know, while movie theaters are a luxury and, you know, it's not something that you have to do, you know, they are pretty big spaces. And and you can be fairly far apart from the people near you, as opposed to, say, like the supermarket where you know you're going to be next to somebody. Uh, I was actually very surprised that the movie theaters didn't have at least a few more people in them. 
Yeah, I guess so too. We were really expecting it. So what's weird is like, I think this this isn't new, but I haven't you know bought tickets online and in, in like whatever. How many years has it been since COVID? Right, so, a thousand. But you can pick your seats, right? And I I always thought like it never tells you whose seats have been picked, but you just pick the ones and it either X's them out or not. And right, they were all red. Like and, and I just picked three seats and they turned blue. I'm like. Has no one else bought tickets to this showing? And it turns out no one bought tickets to the showing. It's very strange, isn't it? I really, I, I was not expecting that because to be honest, movie theater movies were one of the things I missed the most during COVID. I love going to the movies and I really, really miss doing it because it's one of those activities that you can do with everyone in your family. There's always a movie that everybody's kids like and we can do it with groups. And it, it just is something that I always look forward to and I missed it terribly. And as soon as I felt safe enough to do it, I went right back to the movie theater and I was really surprised that there weren't a ton of people doing that. Yeah, again, it kind of speaks to this this boat wake of post COVIDness, at least in in this country, at least in this city. And movies can be an incubus of plague on a good day, and True. especially the kid movies, right? It's like it's like Toy Story three, where all the like drooling kids are licking Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> like that's the movie when you go see Boss Baby on a normal day. And we kind of avoided that, but I can't help but think society is in for a germ reckoning when we actually get back to that level of normal. Yeah, I wonder. Interesting. Well, I hope you enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I mean, speaking of germ reckonings, it brings us to our first segment about yes. the badness of COVID. It's not germs. It's a virus. And God, this what is it going to take to get people to get vaccinated? We talked last week about how if only the FDA would approve it, then Joe from Ohio will get vaccinated. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I've been very sociologically interested in what makes people make their decisions during this time. Because from the very, very, very first moments of COVID being a thing, all of us became statisticians. You know, we all became so reliant every day on different sets of numbers. And I I always was just sort of interested to follow what numbers seemed to make a big difference to people. And this set of numbers to me, seems very profound and very targeted in its message. And and essentially, this is what it is. All the people who are dying weren't vaccinated. None of the people who are vaccinated are dying. And those are the broad strokes, which is, you know, we basically, we have new variants out there. But regardless, uh, in Maryland, 130 people died of COVID-19 last month, and none of them were vaccinated. And 95% of the new COVID cases are unvaccinated people. And to me, that is more of a compelling statistic than almost anything else, which is like, listen, if being vaccinated didn't work, you would find vaccinated people among this group of people. So it's kind of like, do the math, people. Getting vaccinated is what makes the difference. So I want to play not quite full devil's advocate, but are Uh the people who are dying from COVID in that existing comorbidity space, are they obese? Are they really old? I mean, it's we don't want death. Let's just press it. No one should be dying. We're 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 anti-death. Anti-death. This is officially the anti-death conversation. But are we seeing the same parallels in behavior or obesity, or age, or or comorbidities for the ones that are dying and not getting vaccinated? And if so, 
shouldn't those vulnerable populations be the first ones that should have gotten vaxxed in the first place? This is a small sample size. You're talking about only 130 people. And, and although that's certainly a lot of deaths, it's not a huge pool of people. So, I mean, I imagine they probably are in, you know, more people that have comorbidities than people who are perfectly healthy. But regardless, they're not people who are obese and vaccinated. They're not people with chronic lung conditions and vaccinated. They're all people who are not vaccinated. So it's kind of like what, to me, the message is very clear. Whatever your health situation is, whatever the problem is, just get vaccinated because that's going to stop you from dying of COVID. Right. And can we really still blame the sort of dystopic misinformation campaign from early this year? Or are we so far into 2021 that it's it's ridiculous to think people are still looking at like Fox News or whatever from December? I mean, I, I think that there's going to be always lingering effects of misinformation. I don't think that that's going to go away quickly. Right. I think, you know, it's interesting that you ask about misinformation because I think that information is confusing. Whether we're talking about information that is intentionally wrong, accidentally wrong, misunderstood, and even information that is correct. In fact, you know, uh, I wanted to bring this up with you. I don't know if you had known about it. It was very interesting to me. I was talking to a friend, a, a new friend that I made, it was husband and wife who are from Sweden. And they are now members of my neighborhood swim club. And we got to talking. And these are very educated, science-first kind of people. And what they said to me was that they were a little nervous about getting their children vaccinated against COVID. Their, their kids are under 12, so they can't do it right now anyway. They did get themselves vaccinated. But they said that they were nervous, um, not at all because of any misinformation, but because in Sweden, there was a major outbreak of side effects from SARS vaccine several years ago that hundreds of children came down with narcolepsy after the vaccination. And it's not, it was not a hoax. It was not misinformation. I researched it. The company paid out millions of dollars in uh, legal settlements and there was a conclusive link found. Now, the vaccine is entirely different. You know, it, it was not an mRNA vaccine. It was not a COVID-19 vaccine. So it, it's really apples and oranges in terms of comparing it. And lots of things do have some side effects, but it's kind of like, that's a piece of information. It's not directly relevant to the COVID vaccine, but it also exists. And these people happen to have firsthand knowledge with it and knew about it. So it was causing them to be, you know, hesitant, reasonably hesitant, but still hesitant. And I think that it's difficult for people to process giant swaths of information that potentially seem conflicting sometimes. I mean, I'll be honest, too. And, and I, I think I mentioned this on a prior show. I am hesitant to give my kids the vaccine when they turn 12. I'm just I don't know where the instinctual nature of that fear is coming from because I'm science first. I'm rational. I'm educated. I, I just there's a there's just some odd lingering thing. I think ether. it's because you're a parent. It's perfectly natural. Like, I don't even like letting my kids drink Coca-Cola. Like, it's not – no one likes seeing their kids ingest in any way foreign substances because, uh, you know, if, if they're eating apples, you always feel good. They're getting medicine, you feel bad. That's just kind of part right. of being a parent because everything has some degree of risk. And I think it's a mistake in the messaging about vaccines to try to make people feel that they should have no concerns at all. 
because I think that's not really fair. When you're a parent, you're always concerned, even if it's irrational, you're concerned. Well, I'm reading here, going back to where we started the conversation, that the FDA and the CDC said this past Friday, we're taping this on a Tuesday, that anyone who's been fully vaccinated, whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, you don't need a booster at this time. There's no need to worry about this. We now know that there's a a known sort of um, extension of immunity that we didn't know about when we all first got vaxxed in the spring. Yeah, I heard that. That combined with the fact that, hey, it's more effective than we thought. It's also more effective against variants than we initially thought. Um, I mean, that is such great news. I, I, you know, I heard that. I felt like it was a get out of jail free card. It was just amazing. I was here. I was kind of planning like, all right, I got my first vaccine in January. When do I need a booster? And the answer is, ah, you're good for now. So one more devil's advocate on the topic before we move on. You are very devilish today, Matt. I'm, I'm devilish. Well, I'm, I'm kind of not quite cold flu-ish, but I'm, you know, I'm dealing with something, right? <laughs> and it's it's channeling some inner hostility in the... Uh, <laughs> I like the, inner hostility. In the devil sphere. So again... <laughs> That's the are, name of this episode, the devil sphere. We are anti-death. I'll, <laughs> I'll say that once again. Anti-death on Vaxxon here. But of the 130 people that died in Maryland, was that out of like... 100,000 people that got COVID who were not vaccinated. Are we at a point now where mortality is so infinitesimal compared to what it used to be that you're more likely to die from a car accident? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, do they even know what the total number is, right? Like, so 130 people out of, it's one month in the state of Maryland. So who the hell knows? Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll report back next Tuesday, folks. We're going to dig into this. Scooby-Doo to the rescue. I bring it up because I'm just curious, right? We go back to this whole idea of like, you know, you're more likely to get leukemia by 30% or 30,000% than a kid, you know, getting something life-threatening from COVID. There are unicorns right. out there, but they're unicorns. And where do you manage your mitigated risk? So, I wonder if if the answer is to is to look up like how many people died in Maryland last month from car accidents. Right. Even that is probably not a direct head-to-head statistic, but it's it's relevant just for purposes of like relative risk or relative understanding of statistics. Right. And I'm fairly sure our listenership are on our side of this conversation. I'd normally say, hey, if you know someone that's not going to get the vaccine, tell us why. But it can't be a government conspiracy answer. Right. Right. It is not a government conspiracy. The road through COVID, the road to recover from COVID you know, it's complex. There's lots of twists and turns and there's lots of information along the way that, uh, you know, gets processed by different people in different ways. So, you know, there's going to be days that we feel nervous. There's going to be days that we feel really hopeful. And I think that's kind of part of the whole process of recovering from a, from a global pandemic. Moving on to the Simone Biles portion of the conversation today. <laughs> yeah. So I'm here to report in about the Olympics in Japan, and it sounds like a shit show. Do tell. Yeah. I mean, so Japan decided no fans at the Olympics. That's its own whole thing, right? Because the athletes are there and there's all this money that's to be made, but now there's not going to be any spectators. But it sounds like COVID numbers are actually pretty bad in Japan right now. 
because there were 950 new infections just last Saturday. And that was the 21st straight day of infections rising. Do they not have vaccines? What's the data on their rollout of vaccines? It sounds like it had been slow and it's getting better. Um, 16.8% of the population is fully vaccinated and more every day, but that's still a pretty low percentage. I mean, again, not understanding the entire sort of a socio-global economic perspective on this. If they started late, it must have been for a reason. But you're right. That's an infinitesimal percentage compared to our country. Yeah. I mean, it's really upsetting. And it kind of you know brings you back to, hey, it hasn't been all that long since we've been quote, recovered, you know, of course, we're not totally recovered from COVID. But, you know, things are really getting back to normal here. And there are places where things are still a total mess. And 40 people protested the Olympics. A lot of people in Japan don't want to hold the Olympics because they feel it's too unsafe. So they decided to like get together and have a protest. That's kind of contrapuntal to quarantine. Did you say contrapuntal? You can't just throw that in. You're a music nerd. I can say contrapuntal. (laughs) I also liked this statistic. Polls have shown that between 50 and 80% of Japanese oppose holding the Olympics, but it depends on how the question is phrased. What? (laughs) What? So like if they're asking them, hey, you think we should postpone the Olympics, right? Like I guess a lot of people are saying yes to that. And maybe if they say, should we cancel them? Then other people are, you know, lower amount are saying that they agree with that. But I mean- Regardless of what the exact percentages are, people are like going out in the streets and protesting the Olympics. And I I just feel like that's a little strange that, you know, people who are afraid of having this crowd event are assembling a crowd and protesting it. Well, the Olympics start on the 23rd, which is relatively soon, correct? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a calendar. Allow me to consult my my calendar. Yeah. I'm not looking at it. I just knew the day, which is surprising that I knew the day. But, but that's the opening ceremony, right? But isn't July it too 23rd. late to cancel the Olympics? Is like, is this like a train? That's that... what I thought, but apparently not. I mean, you know, I'll tell you, bringing it back to you know me, which, <laughs> which is what it's about. Of course, I will tell you that from my own experience dealing with my own little mini New Jersey swim Olympics, uh, it's never too late to just change everything because we have this event coming up the following week. It's for us, it's the 31st, July 31st. And it is as big of an event as it could be with with actually very similar logistics as the Olympics on a much tinier scale. You know, crowds, athletes competing, all that kind of stuff. And it's two weeks away. They still have not told us what exactly the protocols will be or whether or not they're allowing spectators. So it's kind of like these things are being decided at the very last second. I feel like, yeah, uh, I mean, there are like, there's over 10,000 athletes. There's just some massive number of athletes yeah. participating. Are they mandating that the athletes be vaccinated? Please say yes. I wonder if most of the athletes are already vaccinated, like just voluntarily, because, you know, they have this huge event coming up and they're right. they're athletes. They want to not get sick. No, I just pulled this up on Pop Sugar from the 22nd of June, which is like recently. And COVID shots not required, but encouraged for Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic athletes. According to a plan from the the IOC, participating athletes and officials will not need to be vaccinated to participate in the Olympic Games. That's stupid. You heard it here. It's stupid. 
I, I, I think it's stupid. As I'm going through this kind of, you know, mental process of weighing the Japanese, you know, the Olympics, I can't help but thinking about our swim championships because we're dealing with thousands of children who are under 12, so they have to be unvaccinated. And how big is your city? It's thousands of kids that swim in South Jersey, and it's it's kids from fifteen different swim teams. So I mean, it's it's really a lot of people. The opposite and of Brooklyn. It's the op. It's like as if all of Brooklyn were competitive swimmers. <laughs> but but what is? And I feel like you'll appreciate the. And by the way, this is like the mini swim championship. There's an even bigger one that involves even more thousands of swimmers. What is sort of funny though is that one of the ways that they decided to mitigate the COVID risks is to have no spectators except the spectators are the parents who are supervising children under 12. So imagine it now. It's 10,000 swimmers, children under 12, no parents around to supervise them. Like, what could go wrong? Moving on to some advertising. <laughs> I'm just going to take – I'm going right there. I can't even – I cannot no. put myself in the parental position of you and Eric. No. I am I not like a swimmer. My kids don't swim. I don't have a pool. We don't live near a pool. We're by a beach. We're not competitive. We're not sports people. <laughs> Can I say anything else? All right. Here, I just broke here, Matt. Ads. I broke Matt. <laughs> Listen to some ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What did we call this? The Devil's Fear. The, de- the Devil's Fear. <laughs> oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> so, Laura, remember when we we had like global history? In, I do. In high school, and there I was do. like AP Global History. I got a two on that <laughs> test. Why are we talking about more global history? We went from Japan to Cuba. Cuba's in a fuckness right now I, I, for many reasons, but COVID clearly. I, and and I will. I am here for the Sky Masterson portion of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so this was my takeaway. And these were my notes on this. My notes say, you always thought Cuba was a shit show. Then it seemed to get better. Now we're back to it being a shit show. Communism for the win. <laughs> yeah. So Cuba is a disaster. COVID wise. Okay. COVID outbreaks are worsening. There's food and medicine shortages. There's an economic crisis. Of course, the pandemic is exacerbating the economic crisis. Yeah. I mean, again, like we're, we're, we're anti-death. <laughs> I, I feel like we shouldn't have to be reinforcing that. No one should be dying from this. It's very sad. It's very tragic. I mean, are we finally seeing this being the tipping point for a revolution Oh, I, I did not know we were discussing revolution. Well, I'm reading like here, like the country's calling for the end of its 60-year-old dictatorship. Like, can we de-Castro Cuba for once? I mean, but the country has been calling for that for a long time. I mean, at least from what I understand. But right? maybe, it's not maybe like this, they, this might be the straw that broke the camel's back. I wonder. But at <laughs> the same time, you know, the, the country is very weak right now. So are they really in a position to overthrow the government, which has been there for a zillion years? 
Um, I, I don't even know what I hope for Cuba. I, I know only that I hope to be able to go there someday because I have always wanted to go to Cuba. Um, it is on my short list of countries that I would love to visit. It just has an incredible culture. I still want to go there and see it. What has been the Biden administration's response to this? So so far, it looks like President Biden has not directly commented. And of course, that's turning into a bit of a political football where Republicans are saying that Biden's lack of response shows he doesn't really care about Cuba. Um, you know, I think we all know that this is a complicated topic and, you know, blaming or commenting or responding and what we're going to do. It, it's its a mess. I'm glad it's not my problem to figure it out. Um, I really hope that Cuba gets its act together and that the Cuban people get access to what they need soon um, and that I get to go there to visit and have some delicious food soon. I mean, coming back to all about you, of course, we want to make sure this is, that it's this all about is me. absolutely so you can take your vacation to Havana, roll some cigarettes, see some 1950s Chevrolets. Yes, that is what I want to do. I want to do that too. I, I just think, it, honestly, it, it, you know, again, what I always come back to is that all during the pandemic, the one thing that I found mildly comforting was that the whole world was in it together, that, it, you know, it was a terrible mess. It was no one's fault. We were in it together. We were dealing with it and, and grappling with it together. And to see that we have a country that, you know, has a terrible government and that that government is making it worse for its own people, it's really upsetting to me. And it just, you know, it just brings full circle that, you know, we are all part of this same world and we do have to be caring about what's going on in other countries and putting pressure on whatever government entities we need to, to get people to kind of get to the right place so that we can all be as healthy and safe as possible. Yeah. And then again, in once again, in the theme of this episode in the, uh, we are, we are, um, anti-death <laughs> is this idea of, you know, why can't we all get along? It's really a shame. We do hope that things improve in our island neighbor to the south of Miami. Is that where it is? <laughs> you know, I don't know where geography is. Today's geography lesson brought to you by LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton, yes. the reason for geography. Did they give him the job on Jeopardy yet? I, we're, wait, we're rooting for it. Oh, I rooting hope so. for I it. He's got to get LeVar Burton for Jeopardy. Did you just say that? Was that, was that a, meant to be an entendre right there? What, LeVar Burton for Jeopardy? No, you were rooting for him. Oh, ha-ha, uh -huh. ha-ha. <laughs> uh -huh. Right, LeVar Burton was in Roots, right? Yes. Yeah. Well done. Bravo. I know. Look at that. Come on. You missed it. I made a pun. You missed it. Come on. I. You win. <laughs> you win. All right. I think that wraps up today's show. Wow. All right. So we are, again, just for the cheap seats in the back, we're anti-death. No one should die from COVID. We're... Trying to poke a stick at this, it's really unfortunate what is happening, and our hearts go out to those who've lost loved ones. And everyone be safe in Cuba, in Japan, all across the world. Everybody be safe and go get vaccinated. Yes, Jordi LaForge wants you to get vaccinated. Good night, folks. Good night. That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, the conversation continues on Twitter at VaxOnPod. That's V-A-X-O-N pod. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your friends to listen. Vaxon is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Alora Nanos. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by Chair Model. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. 
Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.